Hi, I'm John, and you are listening to the Known Experience podcast. We have a great guest today, Stephen Murray. But before we jump into that, I want to let you know about a couple of things. Number one is our Known Adventure coming up October 5th through 8th of this year. It's going to be in Winter Park, Colorado. We have this ridiculous cabin that we've rented right looking over the mountains. There's going to be hiking, fishing, downhill mountain biking if you want to partake in that. Uh, but mostly great time together with about 10 to 12 men. We're going to have uh, meal times and fire pit time. And it's pretty informal, like it's pretty casual. But the way that we put it together, it just it facilitates great conversations and connection. So if that's something you're into, uh, check out the link in the show notes or just go to our website, knownexperience.com. Also, if you're a woman listening to this, this is a great gift uh, for an important man in your life uh, that you want to just give the gift of time to get away and decompress and connect and uh, be encouraged and inspired. So think about that. The second thing I want you to know about is uh, regarding our guest, Stephen Murray. He is the director of Forerunner Mentoring. And as you're going to hear, they're an incredible mentoring organization that provides guidance and support and encouragement to young men without a father living in their home, but also their moms. Over the last three months, they have been robbed and vandalized to the tune of about $45,000. Uh, all their vans were broken into, um, their offices were broken into, and they took all their technology. And so as you listen to this, I just really encourage you thinking about what you could do to help support the great work that they're doing. There's a, a link in the show notes to that also, or you can just go to forerunnermentoring.com. Help these folks out. As you'll hear, they're doing great work and they've taken a hard hit this year. So with no further ado, let's jump into the podcast with Stephen Murray. Welcome to the Known Experience. Today, I'm really excited to have my friend Stephen Murray on the pod. Stephen, thank you for being with us today. Thanks, John. Thanks, Sean. Stephen is right here in Dallas. I will just say unashamedly, he is one of my favorite people. Uh, every time uh, we get to spend time together, I'm, I'm glad and encouraged, and he's doing incredible work. Uh, he's the director of Forerunner Mentoring, and uh, they're in a neighborhood area of Dallas called Lake Highlands, and their vision is to fulfill the potential of every young man in Lake Highlands growing up without a father figure at home by providing mentoring programs and family support. Stephen, just elaborate on that before we go further into your story. Tell us even more about what you guys do at Forerunner Mentoring. Yep. Lake Highlands is the most diverse neighborhood in Dallas. So if, if you think about all of our just lower income housing, there is a huge population of multifamily dwellings in Lake Highlands. Seven of the top 10 eviction filing apartment complexes are in our neighborhood in, in DFW. And so uh, there's a lot of economic need. And with economic need comes a lot of relational need. So there's, there's 2,700 boys in our neighborhood that don't have a dad at home. Wow. And so our goal is we want to get every one of those boys a mentor. We want to create a context for mentorship. So we want to run after school programs at the schools in our neighborhood that are all title one. And then we want to gather single moms together to provide community, to help them flourish and find an identity outside of that pivotal role they're playing for their family. Um, so that's, that's the goal. We want to, we want to create a community around 
the modern day orphan and widow, which is the single mom and the fatherless boy. And that word fatherless is not usually a term that we use. It's just more of a buzzword um, because nobody wants to be defined by the thing that they don't have. Um, And we, we really believe that these boys have the most untapped potential uh, of any boy in our neighborhood. Nobody sees it in them. They have what it takes to be a father, a husband, a leader that our community needs. And so the desire is that we help them realize that potential that nobody else sees. Wow. You know, the statistics on this area of mentoring have always blown me away. Share with us about the difference that a mentor can make in the life of a young man. Man, I I mean, every single indicator of success, which I I use success in in quotes, um, just when when people think about having a wife, a house, kids, and a dog. I don't know if you've heard that song from Swoop. Um, (laughs) But uh, he he just talks about, you know, how do you get there? Um, Fatherlessness is usually an indicator of you're not going to get there. Um, Fatherlessness is usually something that is generational in nature that your, your mom's dad walked out and then uh, you're more likely to walk out on your kids. And so there's a, there's a generational breakdown there um, that, that is, is more economic in nature than anything. Um, I don't know if you want me to get into the nitty gritty on why fatherlessness happens. um, But generally speaking, it is, it's one of the greatest indicators of economic uncertainty, of joblessness, of eviction, of, uh, you know, incarceration. Uh, It all points back to not having someone show you who you are, look you in the eyes, tell you you have what it takes, challenge you to grow up into maturity and, you know, what your potential is as, as a human, as just being made in, in the image of God, having like a a clear vision for why, why you're here, what you're supposed to do, having a purpose, having an identity that's, that's positive in nature, that people are seeing the assets that you have and not just the concerns that, that maybe people perceive. So we really, really want to challenge those assumptions that people have about these boys, because in essence, those unchallenged assumptions are actually paving the path toward all of those indicators that are so right. Yeah. I, I think maybe a lot of people don't understand kind of the thankless and the, the thankless job, right. Or the, the energy, the personal energy, uh, kind of taking on their, their story. So what drove you to, to kind of dedicate your life and work to this? I was in a park once and a little boy walked up to me, grabbed my hand and asked me to follow him. He only spoke Spanish. I think he said venga, which I assume means follow me, like come come with me. And uh, he sat me down on a bench and made me watch him go up on the playground and go down the slide. And I was just really confused. And I was like, I'm kind of like a creeper right now watching this kid. (laughs) And so I start walking away and he comes and grabs my hand and pulls me back, sits me down. And I'm, and just, I continue to watch him for about five minutes on the playground. And then his mom walks out and she's just standing there. And 
um, she's like begging him to leave to to get back in the car, and um, she she just tells me he doesn't have a father, and mm. um, and so I was just sitting there like in that moment, I sat back down on that bench and I was just thinking about, it, it's not even just the courage of the boy to like, uh, you know, invite me to come watch him, but just how much a boy's heart longs to be seen by an older man. And yeah. that just like, that just destroyed me. And I hear story after story um, of moms even calling forerunner and saying, my son brings a football to the park every time we go and he throws it at every older man that he sees just because he he Sheesh. wants connection and 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 so she just asked me on the phone would you would you be able to get him a mentor that'd be great she was actually working at one of the schools we serve and that image like just it, it doesn't leave me just wanting, wanting to be seen just to play and be watched and be delighted over and uh, be encouraged, like be celebrated that, that there is a father hunger that is just innate in every human. And, and I think, I think that that's the thing that's kind of gripped me in my own personal story. I mean, my dad was there. He was, he, he did the best he could. I, and I think in my own kind of processing and, and therapy, uh, I see a lot of his patterns relating to his relationship with his father and i always felt this deep hunger and desire to connect with my dad i think the one time i felt he uh um he picked me up was when i hit a inside the park home run so i didn't get over the fence but i hit an inside the park home run and he picked me up and threw me around like just celebrated me and and like to think back of like all my years of growing up, that's the one memory I have. At least I have that one memory. I think, I think that's the main thing that I, I kind of motivates me is that there's so many boys that don't even have that. But since I've become an adult, my relationship with my father has completely transformed for various reasons. Um, but I mean, I'm feeling celebrated. I'm feeling delighted in by my dad as I've become a father. I have a three-year-old and a 19-month-old and just how much they hunger to be thrown around, to be, to be delighted in. And I, I mean, I think, I think my goal in life is to give them my blessing, to look them in the eyes, tell them they have what it takes. And, um, and that, and that's kind of what's drawn me to forerunner is, is raising up other people in the community to see, um, that they have something to, to offer, to give to these moms and to these boys, that's going to help them fulfill their potential. And it's very simple. I think you uh, highlighted something there that's important to acknowledge, uh, and that is that fatherlessness can either be a physical absence or an emotional um, and and mental absence. You know, there there are people that had fathers in their home their whole life, but they weren't present with them. They didn't see. They didn't feel seen by them. They didn't feel valued. Or or it, and sometimes it's even harder if they're there and they don't care to invest in you than if they weren't there at all but uh and I, I was just talking to a friend last night about part of the problem with the the discussions we have about privilege is that we all have our own pain 
And so we look at other people and we get told that we're privileged and we think, well, I'm not privileged. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know my pain. And that's true. It's very real. Like we all want our pain to be known by someone. But but the problems that you're dealing with is very specific. And earlier you said, you know, I don't know if you want me to get deep into it, but uh, I do want you to get deep into it because we don't have these conversations in the public sector about what are root causes of these things. And and you're working on on addressing that. But what what's the cause of fatherlessness? How does that become so prevalent in a community? Uh, I mean, it's it's a big challenge. I, I think even just fatherlessness has always been around. So from the beginning of time, death, divorce, desertion, like it happens. Um, and in many ways, um, being a father was more of like an economic role that you're raising up your kids to take over the family business that, right. you know, agricultural society, you want to have as many kids as you can, so you can harvest the field, uh, cultivate the land and, uh, just kind of take over. And so I, I think once fathers die, fathers leave, um, it creates a hole that, um, are in the heart, heart of children that then is imparted every, every generation down the line. And I think the deep, um, ramifications of fatherlessness just run at a level that we don't see on, on the surface. It's, I mean, I think in the same way we talk about alcoholism as like a genetic kind of hereditary like dispositions are passed down. What does it look like when your pain trauma of fatherlessness is passed down year over year? And how, how does that, you know, escalate and build up all of this pain that's unaddressed and un, unresolved that then affects your future family? Um, I mean, if, if you have me talk about even in America, fatherlessness, welfare, uh, Lyndon B. Johnson, 1964, putting, putting in all of these policies that are promoting, in, in essence, uh, single parent households with good reason trying to, you know, benefit lower economic families uh, end up promoting um, a, a household that, that kind of uh, incentivizes a single parent household from, from a, an economic standpoint, not acknowledging the, the other effects of having a single parent household. Because what, what happens when you have a single parent? Um, I mean, mom's playing two jobs. Mom's, yeah. mom's nurturing, she's disciplining, she's putting food on the table and um, she's putting you down to bed and, and she's just carrying too much. And if she doesn't have a, a social network that really rallies around her, you know, everyone talks, it takes a village. If you don't have a village, what, what happens? Um, you, you get into cycles of aloneness, of isolation. I mean, how many of our moms will tell us in our program that before Forerunner, they had no friends. They were just doing the mom thing, um, trying to, to get food on the table, trying to, to stay in the same apartment for more than a couple of years. And so, I mean, I see it from all these different um, perspectives that fatherlessness is, it's not a monolith. There are so many different stories and experiences that lead to it, but how do we, how do we address the, the needs, the upstream issues, I think, I think is very challenging. And so we've kind of decided, well, 
the upstream issue for us is the boy who's growing up who hasn't been told he has what it takes to be a man. Um, he hasn't been given uh, training in what it looks like to take responsibility, um, walk in humility, um, live in integrity, um, act with respect. And, um, and so that, that's kind of my desire is that we're, we're seeing mentoring boys as an upstream issue because we're, we want to see where they're headed, their future families, what role are they going to play? That's why we call it forerunner. So they're, they're the one that's going first. Um, they're the one that's going before their family to, to really draw a line in the sand. Like many people would say, you know, I, I, I want to take my family in a different direction than, than it's going currently. And I uh, want them to aspire, aspire to be the forerunner for, for their future family. Yeah. So have you found, you know, uh, w- there's in your past, if your father was an alcoholic, a lot of times that you struggle with that. Um, if you saw violence in your home, you may struggle with that reaction in volatile situations. So I don't, I'm not sure how long you've been doing it, but is that a challenge? So even though, you know, all of us crave to have better marriages, the, the, the generational stuff tends to follow. Is that this kind of weird paradox that you find these boys in, you know, where they, they crave a father, but then maybe when they get older, times get tough, they default to, yeah, I'm going to take off too, right? It'll be easier if I just go on my own. Like what's, what's, what's your experience been with that? Well, I, I mean, I'll just tell you um, a vulnerable story of, of a kid that I've mentored a long time. Um, he, he grew up, his mom, um, they were in South Carolina and the relationship just, just wasn't working out with, with, uh, his father. And so they moved to Dallas and I've been here. I mean, he grew up here. I I met him when he was 12, um, started mentoring him, hearing more about his relationship with his dad. He would see him every summer. And so, Mom, mom would send him to South Carolina. He'd go fishing, then come back and I'd mentor him. We, I go to his football games. I, you know, I taught him how to drive, learning how to drive in Dallas is a joke. Like, <laughs> I, I feel so bad for every kid that has to do that. Um, got his first job is working at Brahms, lost his first job, taking chicken tenders from Brahms. So like working through like those kind of dynamics that has nothing to do with fatherlessness. It's just, you're right. stupid. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and you walk through things like that. So, I mean, how we kind of approach those things is like, Hey man, I've totally been there. I waited tables at Cheddar's. I stole some fries. Like I like I've done what you've done. Like don't beat yourself up, like stand up. Let's go get you another job. Um, walking through those dynamics. Uh, we, we ended up finishing our mentor relationship on a 26 mile hike in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, where we just said, let's go do one of the most difficult things we've ever done, leave boys and come back men. And uh, we did this hike and on this hike, we opened up about all of this pain and uh, just stuff that had never been said. Um, And one of the main things he shared was just how much hatred he had for his mom because his mom had moved from South Carolina to Dallas and that he'd grown up separated from, from his dad. And so what I, imagined was all of this hatred was toward his dad. It was actually toward his mom. And I'd never experienced something like that before. Um, and, 
And so he had had this overwhelming affection and desire and longing to to be with his dad, but just mom was taking care of him and mom was the problem, which I think is a huge issue when, when you just think about mom's care and nurturing of a child who may be honestly rejecting her own nurturing because he longs for something else. And, and so just the uphill battle of being a single mom just, just rises in my mind, every single story that I hear. Um, he turned 18, he got a girlfriend, uh, they had a baby. And, and so now he's in this situation um, where as an 18 year old, he's trying to figure out, okay, how do I be the dad yeah. in this situation? And he's hearing from me, like, hey, this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. You have what it takes. I'm going to be here for you. At the same time, he's hearing that encouragement from me. He's hearing, you're not doing enough. You're not enough. Like, you need to do more. Uh, you need to care more. And all of these criticisms from the women in his life, which, honestly speaking, he's 18. They're totally valid critiques. Right. Uh, right. If, if I had a kid when I was 18, I would be a joke. And so if your mom is telling you you're not doing enough and you don't have what it takes, if your sister's telling you you're not enough, you're not, uh, you're not stepping up to the plate, if your baby mama is telling you you're not doing enough, you're not helpful, what are you going to end up doing? Are, right. you, are you going right. to press in? Or are you going to accept the challenge and prove them wrong? Or are you going to run away? Um, and so my, my challenge and encouragement to him was like, I know you're hearing these voices that, that are telling you the exact opposite of what I'm telling you. And I want you to know you have what it takes. You can do this and, and take the criticism for what it is and don't be a fool. Uh, Cause I, I mean, you've probably heard that saying that like a wise man could hear a critique from any fool, but a fool would never hear a critique from a wise man. And so a wise man will hear feedback from anybody. And so regardless of the sentiment or anything, I was just like, you have to hear what they're saying and, and take mm -hmm. the gold and discard the bones, like all, all, all of that stuff. He ended up deciding to move to South Carolina. He, he um, saved some money and moved to South Carolina and moved in with his dad. And so now he's living mm -hmm. in a form, a parable of his story yeah. of, of, you know, leaving because of the discouragement and uh, uh, I mean, just feeling of not being enough. He told me, I can't deal with all of these people saying that I'm not enough. So I'm just going to accept it and, and move to South Carolina. And his dad received him. And, um, and so we, we stay in touch, but that story just kind of mm -hmm. stays with me a lot. Um, of just thinking all of, all of the conversations, all of the mentorship, um, when you face a difficult challenge that puts you in front of the same experience that you had as a child, and then you, you kind of live a, a faint reflection of that. Um, I, I mean, I know that has to get at something deep within him. And I also know that his story is not over but I think it paints a picture of just how easy it is to end up in this rut of a way of doing things that's marked by uh, giving into discouragement, 
Um, and you know, not having, uh, people encourage you when, when you're doing something that you've never done before. And I, I think for a boy that hasn't had a father figure in his life, that's probably most of your life. You're doing things that you've never been shown how to do. Mm-hmm. Man. I, I think we've painted a picture of, of how bad it is, right? <laughs> like, I mean, that, the, um, and we really haven't even scratched the surface. Right. But I also want to get to how good it is as well and how some of these kids lives are just radically transformed by mentors before we do i want to circle back to one thing you said earlier when you referenced uh lbj and government welfare and legislation to try to help the poor because i hear in my ear people that are out there listening right now listen i'm talking to you you're listening right now and when he said that you said see i know that liberal agenda to help the poor doesn't work i'm not going to support it uh and and to that i first would say something that a wise mentor once told me he said i like the way they're doing it wrong better than the way you're not doing anything at all Mm. let that sink in for a minute but secondly there are things that work and there are things that we know work and you're doing them. And so uh, let's talk about that. Um, your, your motto for your program is relationships change lives. And that's not just the life of the kids. That's the life of the moms too. You invest in them. You mentor them. As you said, you help them build friendships and a support network. But tell us how a mentor changes the life of a kid. Man, I, I mean, what, what we even see in the school... And we're starting to do, I mean, we've been running for 10 years now. And so the studies that, that we're showing are that kids in our program um, are exposed to more positive caring adults. Their literacy rates are going up. Uh, their dropout rate. Um, I, I mean, we have n- none of our kids are dropping out. Mm. And, and so. Okay, wait, if, say that again none of our kids are dropping out of high school. Okay. So let me, let me, let me contrast that with 71% of the kids who are high school dropouts don't have a father or a mentor. And you're saying your kids aren't dropping out. If that's not a win, I don't know what it is. Right, right, (laughs) right. It's mainly seeing a need and becoming a part of the solution. And I think Forerunner is is meant to be a, a grassroots initiative to try and get mentors for these 2,700 boys in our community. All of those 2,700 boys have a story that they're writing. Uh, a mentor can't write a kid's story. Even I'm I'm troubled by even our own vision statement of of saying you know we want to fulfill the potential. I can't fulfill these kids' potential. Yeah. they're the ones that are writing their story. I can come alongside them and help them see it and help them live into it. They have to fulfill it. And I, I think in many ways, what I see happen is that people become a mentor and they become disillusioned because they think that yeah. they can change a kid's life. Um, and, and I do believe relationships change lives, but it's, it's, it's not necessarily just the, uh, I don't know, the glory stories that are always told. There is pain, there is trauma, there is difficulty. Relationships are hard. Mm-hmm. And that's and, and that's just across the board, even with our best friends, relationships are hard. And so 
I think the the thing that is challenging is it's it's easy to depend upon the government to solve an issue. It's hard when you go and build a relationship and try and do it yourself. And I think the the it profits us to walk through that experience because we're molded and shaped and refined as human beings while we do that and do the hard work. And so, I mean, I'd say a lot of our, our mentors, they become very discouraged when a kid isn't thankful for their mentorship and become discouraged when they don't see fruit immediately. Um, that you maybe have to practice a certain skill a thousand times before the kid gets it. But if you right. would just acknowledge and, and have perspective to say, nobody's taught this kid how to look you in the eyes. Nobody's taught this kid how to say thank you. That's why you're the mentor in this situation. You are mentoring this kid. So the next guy he meets, he shakes his hand, says thank you. And all, all of the things you're desiring, you're paving away, you're being a forerunner for him. And, and, and so I think, I think I, I don't subscribe to just the like do hard things, you know, whatever, like maybe Sean as a CrossFit, you know, I, I don't even know if you do CrossFit, um, but are you kidding? Look at the guy who runs CrossFit. Um, but I, I do think we have to get out of our comfort zone and challenge our own assumptions when it comes to what's the fruit of being a mentor and just find our purpose in saying, you know what, I'm going to be in the journey with this kid. I'm going to be in the journey with this, this fellow human and say, you know, we're, we're going to grow together. And, and that, that mutual transformation occurs when we step out of our comfort zone and, and do things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. A lot of that landed, you know, it's, it's funny. I was thinking about, I, I'm a big fan of incremental change, right? I, I think it's one of those things that um, that's the real power is, is in that when you understand. So the, going, I'll, I'll throw a little business in here. If you're a businessman, you're generally happy if you make 10% return on, on your investment each year. Right. Uh, so all, you know, 90,000 bucks out of a hundred thousand is just going towards expenses. Do you give up? No, you're end of the year. You have your 10%. You're happy about it. Right. If you're trying to lose weight, if you lose 10% of your weight, you're thrilled. You know, if you're 240 pounds, if you lost 24 pounds, you're pumped. But for some reason with relationships, we expect to hold, we have a whole different set of parameters with our expectations. 10% is never enough. That's a failure. And much of the rest of our life, that's a huge win. Um, but for some reason, and I, I'm talking to myself right now, mm -hmm. my expectations are always higher for transformational change in their response. But I think until we shift that to, hey, this isn't for right now, this isn't for all the things I want, right? Maybe this, this time with this kid will keep him from making the decision that'll send him to prison. You know, just one decision, right? Maybe he won't do that or which would change the complete trajectory of his life. So he might not be a great dad. He might move to South Carolina, but he actually doesn't make this other one that removes him from society. Um, and that's the win. And that's what it was all for. Um, so I, to reinforce what you said, I think it's so important for us to, to shift that and to not require such huge returns when it comes to this type of work. 
We, we serve a, a large population of um, families from Burma, um, and they're usually wrapped up in statistics for uh, like Asian, Asian students. The Burmese have the lowest, uh, you know, graduation rates out of every ethnic group in America. Um, I mean, it's, and the reason it's low is because in Myanmar, um, which I, I think is the new name of Burma, um, grade school ends at fourth grade. And so all of these kids are in elementary school and their parents are telling them school, like, why go to school? Because, you know, back home, fourth grade is it, you're, you're done. And so all of these students get into junior high and high school here and they have no vision for what they're doing because what they're hearing right. from home, they don't have vision for it. And I mean, it's just kind of American expectations that are being placed on them. Um, but I, I mean, our kids are going through a lot. Our, our kids are taking on responsibility in the home, like helping mom pay rent. Um, some of our, our boys are trying to take care of kids as 16, 17, 18 year olds, but they're not dropping out of high school. And, right. and I think in a very large way that that has become kind of a, a clarifying statistic of whether, whether you complete high school or not, that being, uh, a, a place of success. I, I think in large part, middle, middle and upper middle class talk about college more than high school, but just to, to keep that in perspective that there are so many kids dropping out of high school and <clears throat> how many opportunities will they not be afforded um, if they don't develop the skills and uh, work ethic to, to complete the things that are right in front of them that, um, I, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't really see that as like uh, a success measure. I never put that in like a, a booklet, but I think it's a given for me. If you have someone investing in you, uh, that's maybe not your blood, like blood relation, someone that's asking about your homework. That's, that's the hugest thing for us is even just asking about homework reframes the importance to a child about, okay, somebody's asking me about this, that must mean it's important. And it just shifts their mindset about it. And so I, I think that's the power of a mentor is a mentor just helps you create a greater understanding of what's important in life. And so right, if, if right. my mentee comes over and he sees my family sit down for dinner and I ask questions, he's now, there's synapse connections happening where he's saying, it must be important as a dad to ask these kind of questions and to discipline your child and to, to do this or do that. And the kid may never acknowledge that he is picking up on those things is learning them. Mm -hmm. He may be quiet in every mentor interaction you have, but you're changing something in his brain. And I, I care about statistics, John. I just, I think everything shows that relationships change lives. And so if I can just, work on that i think i think we're gonna be good i think we can move yeah, those yeah. <laughs> those needles i think yeah. i think what you're alluding to there um also is that um it's not just exposing them to questions and values that they've not had before but exposing them to possibilities that they've never had before that have never crossed their mind i mean a, a cause that's really um important to me is kids being the first in their family to go to college people don't grasp what it is like 
to not even be able to comprehend the possibility of something for your life and that causing you to not take logical steps towards it, right? Right. So there's a um, there's a foster care village in West Palm Beach called Place of Hope. Sean is really familiar with it. And I knew a woman there that was the, um, she was the clinical director for this foster care village. And she had this uh, young woman in the village that was about to age out of the foster system. And she got offered a full ride scholarship to the University of Florida. And she turned it down. She said no. And when her therapist asked her why, she said, well, you know, nobody in my family goes to college. That's just not something we do, which is pretty common, right? But this woman would not let this girl off the hook. And she kept pushing her, kept pushing her. I need a better answer than that. That's not a good answer. I need to know why. What's the real reason? And finally, this girl broke down and she said, listen, I've talked to people that went to college and I know that they close the dorms in the summertime and at Christmas and I ain't got nowhere to go. This girl turned down a full ride scholarship because she couldn't navigate what to do when the dorms are closed. And to this therapist's credit, she converted her garage into an apartment. You talk about being a part of the solution. She converted her garage into an apartment and said, you got somewhere to go every holiday, every summer, as long as you need it. And so you guys are not just helping these kids with practical things and being there with them. You're speaking things to them that in their community never even crossed their imagination, right? Right. Uh, have you had some of those experiences? I think we've experienced a lot with the the moms um, of, of really learning learning a lot of the experiences of people living in poverty. Um, I think it's really easy for um, us to, I guess, moralize poverty and try to uh, address the challenges and issues that families are facing. I remember when COVID happened and every, you know, upper middle-class family was like so concerned about, you know, how are we going to, you know, how are we going to deal with this situation and uh, economic uncertainty, all this stuff, all of our moms were like, this is a Tuesday. Like this, uh, Oh, I'm going to lose my job. Okay. I've lost seven jobs. So mm. like, who cares? Um, I'll figure something out. And, and really like, acknowledging the assets within uh, poverty that, that people probably don't, um, you know, highlight or, or see as, as positives that you really grow resilience when you live paycheck to paycheck, you really grow, um, you know, a heart to make it, um, when you're just making it. And I, I, I think for, for me, that, um, juxtaposition of a family who has everything and is overwhelmed with concern to a family who has nothing and has confidence that um, that tomorrow there's hope. Uh, that that kind of dissonance, I think everybody everybody learns um, something. I mean, it's 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 kind of staggering. Um, but I, I mean, I'd also say like how how challenging it can be when when you're a child and you're carrying the responsibilities of an adult. Um, I know I've, I've seen kids not go to college because, um, because they're, they're providing childcare for their younger siblings. And 
they're they're meeting needs that we don't see and there's always a reason why they're doing what they're doing um it's it's not because there's just a lack of logic um and so a lot of our mentors would be like well i want you to be me and the only problem with that is that they're not you (laughs) they're not living the same experience they they don't have the the same money that they're coming from um their opportunities are different and that is okay there's nothing wrong uh with with our stories being different and we don't have to to moralize one and say well a wife, a house, kids, and a dog, like that is the standard. And if you don't reach, reach that, then you failed. Um, but, but more of, well, let's help this kid uh, work with the hand that he's been dealt and do his darndest to fulfill his potential and, and realize that, um, I, I mean, his story may look different than ours, but it's still beautiful and it still, uh, it still matters. Man, I've I've learned a ton from from our moms and experienced all of the stigma that they feel. Kind of had a mom get in my face and and yell at me because she was feeling as if I was treating her like um, she didn't have a handle on on what it means to be a mom. She she told me she said my husband died when they were two years old, and in her saying that she was like, I'm not just some stupid. 16 year old girl that got pregnant and I'm in this situation. And there's a lot to unpack there because I think she has a lot of, uh, unchallenged assumptions about that 16 year old girl who, who maybe she feels like people are perceiving her as, as a single mom, but it just, it gave me a little perspective on all of the emotional challenges that our moms are walking through. It's like all these landmines of people's perception and that, that, essentially keep you from building relationships because you are everybody's suspect. Everybody's thinking something about me that may not be true. And so I'm just going to become isolated and and do my own thing. And those kind of dynamics, um, I think really give me a lot more compassion and come a lot more soft to a mom to, to say, Hey, I, I honor you for the role that you're playing for your family. And I'm, I'm seeing so many good things in your son that I can only attest to your parenting and, and, and the investment that you're making in your child. I, I think that's, that's the kind of uh, assumptions that I want to challenge that really single moms in our community, they're the unsung heroes in our community. They're not the ones that are um, the most messed up or the most in the weeds. They're the ones that uh, we need to champion and herald as uh, queens, like mm-hmm. in our community that are are killing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if people could just see what they carry, um, I, I was even oh, we were moving our offices yesterday. I have like these massive bruises on my arms because I was trying to carry these like IKEA four by four like box shelves. I don't know if you've seen those. I try to carry them alone. And so I, I brute forced them and carried them. And in one day, you're seeing the results of me carrying this thing alone. And and I think single moms have all of these hidden bruises of carrying their child's potential alone. Mm-hmm. And I want people to see those things, but see the effort, but also see um 
you know, the, the beauty of, if we came alongside these moms and, and champion their boys with them, uh, maybe they could be healed and, and maybe their son's future, uh, could be realized. So, man, that, that reminds me of this quote from father, Greg Boyle, who we will have on this podcast one day. Come on, speak it. Uh, he said, he said, we should seek a compassion that stands in awe of the burden that the poor have to carry rather than sits in judgment over how they carry it. Mm. I think that's what you're pointing to. That's good. Do you have any resources you suggest on helping us better understand the problem of poverty and maybe how we could help contribute to a solution? I, I read a book recently uh, called Poorly Understood. This book addresses so many myths that we have about what leads to poverty, um, what its effects are. And I, I think there are a lot of assumptions that are challenged by the, the research in this book. And the book kind of starts out, half of Americans will experience poverty at some point in their life. And poverty is not just a, once you're in poverty, you're always in poverty. It's a very fluid experience for many Americans. But if we could just have a conversation about half of us will experience poverty sometime in our lives in America, I think it'll help us to understand our neighbors at a higher level. And even the same, if you think about Single parent households are one in four in America currently. And so 25% of us um, either are a single parent or have a single parent. And so I, I think just that helps, um, it helps us to understand the one in four or the one in two, every other one of us experiences something like this. Mm -hmm. And so I'd highly encourage people to pick this book up and read it. Um, it's just, it talks about what we get wrong when it comes to poverty and opens our eyes to, to seeing, having a more compassionate perspective um, on, on people that are going through it, uh, but also having hope for them because um, most people going through poverty are not stuck in poverty. They have avenues and opportunities out. Um, and that can destigmatize, I think, a lot of people that um, are are perceived as something that they're really not uh, when they're when they're economically challenged for a season. I think we all have assumptions that need to be challenged, yeah. and so that that's that's a part of being human is being open, open to being wrong. Um, yeah, well, I don't think it's a stretch to say that if I've never truly experienced poverty, I really have no clue what it's about. Like I can look from the outside and frame my own uh, judgments and perspectives of it. But um, if you haven't lived it, uh, you really don't know. And you really have to read and kind of get into it through hearing other people's stories. So um, I'll put the link in the show notes. And um, if you're, you hear all that and you're like, it even angers you that we're talking about that topic then order it now it'll be there tomorrow <laughs> through amazon so what do you need if anyone's listening in your in your area what what are the gaps you need filled how do you need to be supported mm -hmm. uh yeah steven why don't you just tell us about your last i don't know six weeks of forerunner mentoring 
Tell us that glory story. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so we, we bus kids into our after-school programs um, and take them to summer camps just to do enriching experiences like that hiking trip I told you about. Um, two days before our, our trips went out this summer, somebody broke into four of our five vans and tried to hotwire them. Um, and I think they had a YouTube understanding of hot wiring. So they were not successful, but they, they rendered four of our vans inoperable. Um, and that was just a big bummer because uh, I mean, we're sending kids out in a day, uh, to an enriching summer experience that maybe, maybe they just been sitting at home playing Fortnite most of the summer. Um, and really looking forward to camp. We did get some guys, uh, to fix the vans, but it, I mean, it cost us probably 14 grand to, to get them fixed. They just destroyed all of the electrical panel and the ignition switches and just everything, everything on the front of the van uh, there. I mean, there's like underwear and random stuff in, in the vans, just not pleasant to feel, to feel like uh, somebody, somebody jammed screwdrivers into all the locks on the, on the outdoor, uh, um, doors, uh, those vans have gone through hell. Um, we've had 13 catalytic converters stolen. Um, I I've installed so many like security deterrents on those things. Um, but nothing's worked so far. So I'll probably have to drive them to my garage and try and park them all, um, at my house. Um, though my, my wife's, uh, Hyundai Santa Fe got keyed the other day. So maybe my house isn't the greatest place. Um, two weeks and ago. Last, and then, yeah, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, uh, someone broke into our offices. Um, so they, they broke into a perimeter door and then into our office, um, and stole about $30,000 of, of, uh, camera equipment, um, computers. Um, they stole, uh, I mean, financial documents, they stole, um, iPads and, and other, other kind of equipment that helps us run programs and, and administrate enrollment and, and all of these things. And just those back to back were, were a hit on our organization. And it, I mean, it just makes you think I, in, in a very real way, our boys have been robbed of, of a lot of things in life. And this is just added to the tally of the, the organization that's trying to ad address <clears throat> their relational need of a father figure um, is being attacked as well. And I, I take it as fuel, honestly, because um, for all intents and purposes, the, the dudes that did this, they were probably young. They left all of our checkbooks. So they probably didn't even know what a checkbook was. Um, that, that kind of gives me a, a little understanding of their age. And so I, I take it with good certainty that these, these were kids in our neighborhood that didn't have mentors. These, uh, were kids that needed, need a father figure, need someone to show up for them. And, um, they probably have significant economic need. Uh, they probably had a lot of time on their hands. Um, and so I just say that it's kind of the point of like, you know, why we're doing 
mentoring to begin with um, is to kind of help help kids like that see that they they have so much more than they're living into. And if they if they knew us, um, they probably wouldn't have done this, um, right? Because they they probably would have received a, a lot more of an investment from us than than what they were able to get. And we've experienced that before. I mean, we've had like I'll, I'll share this story. We launched our high school program three or four years ago, and the first night we hosted it um, on the security camera, some boys took like a pool chalk and, and opened a door with it and just like left a door propped open and they came in and they, they really just wanted to utilize our space and have fun. And at the very end of the security footage, they jacked all the TVs out of the room <laughs> and it just, it didn't, it didn't even look like that was their main intention of coming. Like they just wanted to come have more fun. They took the TVs and, and, uh, the next week we were really hoping they would come back. They came back and they did the same thing with the pool, pool chalk. And we stayed after just to confront them and, and said, Hey man, I need you to bring the TV back. We know, we know you took it. We also want you here. So I want you to hear that first. Like, we're so glad you're here and just bring the TV back. These guys came back every single week for the next two years. Um, and, and to feel, to feel as if like they stole things from us, we confronted them, but they still wanted relationship. They longed for what we were providing. Um, I think, I think spoke a lot to really the desires in their heart. Um, and, and that, that's what I would want. I would want to, to connect with these boys and, and say, Hey, you really messed up. If, if you stole from somebody else, this might be a, a really difficult situation, but you actually stole from a mentoring program that wants to, wants to pour into you. So, um, so yeah, that, that's kind of been the last six weeks for us. Um, and our, I mean, our team, our team is honestly like more bonded than maybe the past two years. So I think collective trauma just kind of works. So I'll probably, um, I don't know, stage something like this every six months just to build some staff morale. Um, so yeah, no, I'm kidding. I so won't do that. Give us, give us the tally on that. Um, well, 31 grand from our offices, 14 for um, the vans. And so 45, I think is that put together, John, are you testing my math skills? No, I'm just wanting people that are listening to to hear that that's that's a significant amount of your budget and um i mean this is what i'd love to see for the known community you know we've got a bunch of you out there that are listening to every episode and uh i think you've heard a lot uh today about uh how these men and women are are investing in these kids and putting their life on the line and uh, i would just love to see us really be able to help uh you know that people are they have your backs and they're supporting you and so how can people give towards this incredibly worthy cause, uh, especially towards this situation that you just faced recently? You're very kind, John. Um, our website is forerunnermentoring.com. You can give on there and learn, learn more about what we're doing in Lake Highlands. Um, yeah. and, and I would just say, um, <clears throat> I mean, there, there are kids in every neighborhood that don't have a dad. And so the greater need is for people to show up for the kids in their community. And so 
um, yes, give a gift, but we need mentors more than MacBooks. So um, that's that's the desire is that we we would see men and women champion the kids in their community by showing up for them. Well, I want people to hear that last invitation that you gave. Uh, you host a podcast called You Can Mentor. Uh, for everyone that's listening out there that, that thinks, I can't be a mentor. I don't have what it takes. Um, you can mentor. And I encourage you to, to, to listen to Stephen's podcast on that. But just in closing, uh, you say the relationships change lives. And you've alluded earlier that that's not just the kid's life. That's the mentor's life also. How has this changed your life? Mentoring has given me just such an appreciation for the boy that I was. Um, I mean, I, I think even recently I saw a video that was talking about we become the men that we needed when we were boys. And, and so being a mentor helps me to think back and, and kind of process my own childhood, my own you know, what was I like when I was 10, when I was 11? Um, and I really feel like that experience, there's, there's nothing like mentoring to, to help you acknowledge and recognize that. And the, I mean, the, the purpose I've found in helping others in their journey, I think, I think I, I haven't found something that's given me more life than that. And and I think we're all aware of that is that when we give ourselves away, we find ourselves. And, and so that, that's kind of what I've, I've found as a mentor is that I'm growing personally as I'm doing this while I'm helping someone else. And, and it's really not about me, but I'm receiving, um, I, I'm receiving from it as well. And so, I mean, it is mutually transformative. Um, I'm learning a ton simply because I'm, I'm meeting people from different experiences that, that I've never walked through. And so learning to listen, learning to understand, um, and challenge my own assumptions that I have of people that are unlike me. Um, and, and learning to learning to value the things that they bring into this world that, that I can't. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's what I would say, John. Well, thank you uh, for being with us today, taking time. I know you got a lot going on and uh, get back to those kids. But um, thank you for uh, being the change you wish to see in the world. And uh, man, uh, you are a gentleman and a scholar, as my grandfather would say. And I'm grateful for you. So check out ForerunnerMentoring.com. Send them some money. And if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, consider being a mentor and wherever you are, look into mentoring programs where you live, listen to the podcast. You can mentor. Thanks, Stephen. Great to have you. Thanks. Thanks for having me, John. You're awesome. And I, I mean, I'd encourage everyone as like a, a final thought, um, ask somebody in your life, tell me about your dad. It's interesting when you ask people that question, the varied responses you'll get, but I, I think it helps you get to know people. That's great. Awesome. Get to know people. Well, you've been listening to the known experience, and uh, I hope that you will continue to experience the power of being known.